and welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow. I'm joined by Orly Morella. Hey. As sort of usual. Yeah, we're I'm regular for Reg- sure. Regular guest. I'm a regular Alec Baldwin over here. <laughs> what does that mean? How he was hosting Saturday Night Live all the time. Oh yeah. I'm at the docks. Caw, caw. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, what have you been up to? Is that a real question? I don't know. <laughs> Have you been listening to any modern rock? Barely. What have you been listening to? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend soundtrack. <laughs> You've been listening to the soundtrack to the television show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Like nonstop. Okay. It's the best music out there. Sorry, modern rock and everything else. <laughs> wow. Clever lyrics, hooks. I'll take it. Okay. I still love modern rock. Hopefully there's something good in April <clears throat> 1990. <laughs> What was going on in April 1990? Not a lot. No. Does anything happen in April? Taylor Dane had a big hit. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess it was big for her. It's not modern rock. No. All right. Well, why don't we just jump into the charts? Yeah. The first week of April 1990, we have a new number one song on the top of the charts, and mm-hmm. it is a band called Midnight Oil. All right. Or if you're a fan, just the oils. The oils. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that? No. I haven't heard anyone say that either, but maybe I've never met a true fan. How would they even say oils? Australians? Oil is a weird word. You see the oils tonight? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Australian. No, okay. Sorry. No. So Midnight Oil is perhaps the quintessential Australian rock band. Not in excess? I'm not saying the most famous band out of Australia. Not which, ACDC? Which would probably be ACDC. Yeah. I'm saying quintessentially Australian. There's a difference there. What about that dude that's like, I come from a land down under. Men at work? That seems more quintessentially Australian to I me. I mean, sure, that song is called Down Under. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that song, notwithstanding. Okay. I love that guy. <laughs> All right. Big Men at Work fan over here. I like Men at Work too. Hey, dude, that guy's yeah, voice is incredible. It's just a good song. <laughs> There's a lot of good songs around there. Yeah. Okay, but Midnight Oil, you know, I only know their one song, so unless we're talking about Beds Are Burning, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you can hear their Australian accent come through oh, uh-huh. in mm-hmm. a way that is not true not of a lot of Australian sense. bands. Yeah, for sure. I think they sing about a lot of Australian issues. Interesting. They're mm-hmm. more like of the people. Yeah. Okay. Midnight Oil began in 1972 as a band named Farm, and in 1976, they changed their name to Midnight Oil. These guys are old. Yeah, they've been around for a while. Why do I picture this guy dancing in like a black skirt? Have you seen him? Or is this just like a fantasy of yours? Uh, either. <laughs> I can't <laughs> not, tell. Not sure. Um, <laughs> they eventually turned into an aggressive sort of pub band with frequently politically charged lyrics. And they covered a lot of topics ranging from indigenous Australians to environmental issues, nuclear disarmament, U.S. military intervention. Okay. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of Australian topics, mm-hmm. which I guess in some sense would maybe limit their potential success in other countries. Sure. Unless they were gorgeous. That just breaks most boundaries down. <laughs> were they Were they gorgeous? No. Okay. So they were led by singer Peter Garrett. Uh-huh. And this guy, uh, once you've seen him, you can't forget him. Yeah. He looked like a monster to me. <laughs> I picture him as looking like Michael Stipe from R.E.M., except like if Michael Stipe fell into some mutagenic ooze like oh, from Ninja yes. Turtles 2. That's exactly what yes. he looks and like. So he grows, like, he grows bigger and his face gets like a little harder and yeah. more extreme. Yeah. A little hulky, like hulking out. Yeah. He's like, he's hulked out Michael Stipe. With a big black skirt on? 
I have no idea if he has a big black skirt on. I think he wears pants like most Australians. <laughs> I I gotta figure this out. No, but I mean, he's a pretty tall guy. He's got the bald head. Yeah. He's, he's got a real intense look on his face a lot of the time. Yeah. And Maybe he, like that prominent brow. He does have a prominent brow. And uh, he's known for his eccentric dance moves. That I remember like clear as day. Yeah. The dance moves mm-hmm. where he like swings one arm around and kind of, it looks combative almost like he's getting ready to fight or like he's swinging invisible nunchucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's semi-accurate, I think. Yeah. So, in 1987, Midnight Oil had their big commercial breakthrough with their album Diesel and Dust, which went platinum in the U.S. and seven times platinum in Australia. But do you need to sell like 1,400 albums? It's like 14 albums. It's two, <laughs> two albums per platinum in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Diesel and Dust is frequently named as one of the greatest Australian albums of all time. Yeah. And Midnight Oil followed that up in 1990 with their album Blue Sky Mining. Wow. We're going to hear the first single from Blue Sky Mining. It's called Blue Sky Mine. Okay. It went to number one on the modern rock charts, and it's Midnight Oil's final song to land on the Hot 100, reaching number 47. Ever? Ever. Okay. Yeah. Blue Sky Mine is about what's called a Wittenoom mining disaster, which happened in Australia, where a bunch of mine workers were knowingly exposed to blue asbestos. Jeez. And Why? In the mine. They didn't care. Yeah, just the mining company didn't care. Uh-huh. And this led to hundreds and possibly thousands of lethal cases of mesothelioma and lung cancer. Wow. Yeah. How awful. Yeah. On that upbeat note yeah let's go ahead and listen to it blue sky mine i can't wait exciting hope the crumbs in my pocket can keep me for another night and if the blue sky mining company won't come to my rescue if the sugar refining company won't save me Honestly, I think that song's a little forgettable. Yeah. And it sounds like it's about a really serious subject, Mm -hmm. but I don't really understand what he's saying. So if I didn't know that it was about that, I would just think it seems pretty upbeat. It's not necessarily a mournful song musically. Isn't that the mark of a certain kind of quality pop song where there's some subtext that maybe a lot of people aren't going to get and they can sell that song to a oh. larger crowd who might discover they might um, discover lyrical content later? Sure. I don't know if I would go about it that way. It seems tricky. Yeah, like they're trying to sneak one in? I don't know. Like, if you have a message, then have the message. Don't be like, hey, I'm really excited about this song. It's about horrible corporations killing people, but I'm going to smile the whole time singing it. It's a weird feeling. <laughs> sure, I think that's fair. It doesn't have to be like a funeral dirge, mm-hmm. but it, to me, it's a little off-putting. Okay. It's, that's kind of how I feel. This mining tragedy, it was not recent news at the time the song came out so it's like doing a chernobyl song now kind of uh-huh. a little bit yeah the, they closed the mine in the mid 60s okay i think yeah mm-hmm. so it's quite a while after the fact so mm-hmm. it's more like a informative historical piece oh that makes more sense i guess yeah yeah they're not like protesting right they're just like 
telling a story through song. Yeah, and I think they're saying, hey, we should remember this. And like, maybe let's not let these kind of things repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so you're so-so about the song. I yeah. Like, I like the song pretty well. But I will say, I picked up a copy of their greatest hits recently. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a lot of good stuff on there. I think it's worth checking out. Plus, there's the bonus of it being called Essential Oils. Oh my gosh, no, <laughs> no. So that's pretty great. And if there's any super fans out there, I actually discovered that you can buy a box set of everything Essential. they've ever recorded, the Inessential Oils. Okay. Yes, <laughs> everything. You can buy this box set. It comes inside a giant oil barrel. Like that's what the... the <laughs> It's like $450. It's a box set that looks like an oil barrel. And you proudly display this in your home. Yeah. Let's keep going. (laughs) So interestingly enough, after one week on top, another Australian band Mm. kicks Midnight Oil off. Okay. So that's what April's for. Australian. That's what it is. Their mom. all Australia all the time. Okay. And this band is called The Church. Mm -hmm. The Church performed in 1980. In 1988, the church had their big breakthrough, Starfish, which featured Under the Milky Way. Right. And for their follow-up, they wanted to do something different, and their plan was to get John Paul Jones to produce. Mm -hmm. And that's John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. The church's record label, they said, no, 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 you can't do that. We actually want you to team up with the same people you worked with last time because that worked for you and you had a big hit. Let's do it again. Gosh, you know those record people, they're the record label people, they just know everything. Yeah. They're well, so smart. They didn't take into consideration, of course, that those studio sessions for Starfish were very, very difficult. A lot of emotions running high, very fraught. What do they care? <laughs> they're not going to be there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a recipe for disaster to me. Sure. Like, hey, everyone was angry and upset and Yeah, and also, like, fights. we're like, artists. This is what we want to do with our art. Uh, no, we like this better over here. You guys do that instead. We don't care about art. It seems like a good way to break up a band to yeah. me. Yeah, did it, did it do that? It did not, but the sessions were tense, and their longtime drummer, Richard Plug did end up leaving the band. So the entire band didn't break up, but one band member did leave. <laughs> That did mean that a lot of the songs on their album ended up having programmed drums mm-hmm. because apparently there's no other drummers. Can't replace <laughs> Plug. <laughs> Got to program It's a one-of-a-kind Plug. Yeah. So in 1990, the church released their sixth or seventh studio album, depending on how you're counting, and it's called Gold Afternoon Fix. Okay. Which to me sounds like some kind of drug terminology, but it's actually a stock market term mm-hmm. that the guys in the band heard on the television and thought it sounded cool. They ended up finishing the album without their drummer. Uh-huh. And their lead single was called... <laughs> I'm sorry. They're like a band on their seventh album. And they're like, our drummer left. There's no other drummers in the entire world. Okay. <laughs> we'll just put this drum machine in place. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> you know what else is weird? This band was really... Not popular in Australia. Yeah? yeah. What do they look like? <laughs> they look like regular 1990 rock stars from Australia. Long hair. Some of them. Yeah. But they had some big success in other countries, but Australia, their native land, hmm. not as kind to them. Maybe, and I could be just, I'm just generalizing mm. about 
Australians, but maybe they're back then even a little bit macho and the church seem a little wimpy for them. Not pub rock enough. Yeah, they don't, you know, like Australians like to fight and drink and maybe they're just like, hey, these guys aren't going to punch me in the face. I can't respect him. <laughs> you know what? There's no room for your stereotypes on this, okay, fine. on this podcast. Definitely not. Let's get an angry drunken Australian in here to set the record straight. <laughs> I've met zero of them and know this from nothing at all. <laughs> I saw Crocodile Dundee one time. I did. I saw that like six times. I saw it at least twice. I saw Crocodile Dundee too. <laughs> Crocodiles in the city. <laughs> I saw him in the city too. <laughs> so the lead single off of Gold Afternoon Fix was called Metropolis. Is that where Superman's from? That is where Superman's from. But it's also the name of an early German science fiction film. Uh-huh. And um, I think these guys were probably more inspired by the science fiction film than the Superman. That's just my guess. Okay. But we can see. Maybe we'll listen and we'll hear some, some Superman. I don't know. I've never seen Superman. You've never seen Superman? Uh, I don't know anything about Superman. Only that he's from Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing you know about Superman is that he's from he Metropolis. Flies. Yeah, you know, he's not originally from Metropolis. Yeah, he's a guy from the other planet, but I don't know the name of that one. Krypton. Krypton. But former planet, so. He's allergic to it. To Krypton. Kryptonite. Kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah, he's allergic to the rocks from the planet that he's from. Does that make any sense? I don't know. So he wasn't born there. He was born on Krypton, yeah. Okay, let's move on. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Uh, Tune in to our new podcast, Superman. (laughs) (laughs) It's really short. It goes, I don't care. (laughs) All right. You want to listen to Metropolis? Yeah. Here we go. The Church Metropolis. Don't say nothing good will ever come of this. Don't say the damage is worse than that. The Metropolis Circus is an elephant where the oranges grew. I like that. You know what I thought immediately hmm. was that to me it kind of sounded like the Libertines. Really? I think that guy kind of sounds like Carl Barat. Okay. And it seemed like the Libertines, you know, like on their second album when the songs weren't quite as formed. Like a little looser and less punky, it kind of had that vibe to it. But obviously, like more tightened up and clean. Okay. Not as messy, but to me, kind of gave me that vibe, which I don't mind. I like that. Yeah, interesting. And also, I thought the verse was stronger than the chorus mm-hmm. in that song. So I like, I was like, yeah, I feel in that verse. And then like Metropolis Park comes, you're like, oh. Eh. Yeah, lyrically in the chorus, I don't know what was going on. I liked it. Circuses and elephants. No, I didn't like that part. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. But I liked the things they tried to rhyme with Metropolis. Topple Us. Topple Us was the best one, mm-hmm. but they um also did Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They yeah. did talk about a Holocaust. That's not a good rhyme, but I guess it has the syllables and kind of some of the vowel sounds, but it's not a rhyme. Okay. But I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The verses gave me kind of a psychedelic furs yeah, vibe. Yeah, totally. I felt similarly. I think it was a pretty good song. I definitely wouldn't be sad if that was playing on the radio or hearing it in the background. No. I don't know if this song would inspire me to go out and buy a church album. No, so. but I, I wouldn't mind hearing it. Yeah. So I saw the church at my second concert ever. Really? Mm-hmm. Which was like a radio fest. Mm-hmm. And for some reason in 1994, 
Under the Milky Way Tonight had like a resurgence. Okay. So it was getting played a lot on the radio again. So then they were like writing the tales of that. Mm -hmm. But they did an acoustic set without a drummer. In 1994, they still had not replaced Plug. Plug was irreplaceable. Plug. He's an irreplaceable Plug. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I, I didn't watch their whole set. <laughs> wow. I thought you had a really good story here. Sorry. And it just, as it turned out, you just didn't watch them. I watched that song. Okay. They opened with Under the Milky Way. And you said, no, like. Peace out. No, no, no. I mean, I watched part of it. I didn't watch the whole set. But I don't know. I think they sounded really good acoustic. But they did seem like of a different era they in seemed, 1994. They seemed older. They did. It wasn't the young grunge alternative no, you were looking for. and I was there for, for Beck. Mm-hmm. And this was really early Beck. Mm-hmm. And they were playing right before Beck. And we'd already seen two bands before them. So yeah. it's like, yeah. Do you remember what the bands were? Yeah. It was Eve's Plum. Don't know. Possum Dixon. Dixon. Possum Dixon. Okay. The Church. Mm-hmm. Beck. And Violent Femmes were the headliners. Did you stick around for that? I was mostly hanging out by Beck's tour bus. Oh, my god! I didn't, I didn't Ouch. know them. Ouch. I mean, I heard them in the background. <laughs> um, I was hanging out by Beck's tour bus yeah. as like a lone 13-year-old in overalls. Yeah. I feel kind of bad for the church now because, not, not because you skipped out on their set, but we've got Beck who has one single out and we've got the church who have had at this point probably nine albums. I know. Like, what did the church think when they saw this 20-year-old jerk? 23. Yeah. They probably thought he was a jerk for sure. <laughs> They're all, like, seasoned. Mm-hmm. They come out, and all these people are like, oh, where's Beck? <laughs> He's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> One extra thing I should mention about the church, they are still together. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's kind of hard to keep track, but they've put out something like 26 albums. <laughs> Their most recent being 2017's Man, Woman, Life, Death, Infinity. Don't name your album that. They covered it all. Like, what, what else do they Give have? Give me a break. Okay, I'm wondering, I hope not to be mean, are they solely living off of music or do they have like side jobs? Is music paying the bills? I would assume so. If you can keep a band together this long and put out 26 albums, then they, they must be... Paying the bills with music, What right? do you call them? Um, big time church bands. You call them the congregation. I've never heard of like hardcore church bands. I'm a member of the congregation <laughs> myself. <laughs> so in the third week of April, we have another number one song coming into the top spot, Depeche Mode with their second single off of Violator. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the silence. Classic. Totally classic. Mm-hmm. Depeche Mode. They were formed in Basildon, Essex, England. I don't know what that means. Basildon? Whenever people are from England, they always have like four places that they're from. I don't Is one of them a county? Yeah, they love throwing their county around. Yeah. And neighborhood. Okay, yes. <laughs> Got to get the right neighborhood. You're from Steins. Um, they were formed in 1980. They're still active. In fact, they toured around here just last year. At this point, they've released 14 studio albums, which puts them way behind the church. Behind? The Church, 26 albums. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, I thought you meant at that time. No. No, currently they've released 14 studio albums. Yeah, because all those dudes have side projects up the wazoo. They've released dozens and dozens of charting singles, and they have sold over 100 million records worldwide. What? Yeah, which oddly enough puts them in the same club as The Ventures. <laughs> 
Okay, these guys are definitely rich. So this is like a synth pop group with some light gothy undertones. Sure. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Violator was their first top 10 album in America. It went triple platinum. It was co-produced by Flood, which is a name we've been hearing a lot lately. Flood. Flood was involved with Nine Inch Nails' Mm -hmm. debut album, among Mm -hmm. other things. And this frequently ends up on greatest albums of the 90s or sometimes all-time lists. Yeah. Enjoy the Silence was a second single off this album after Personal Jesus. It went to number eight on the Hot 100. So it was a big hit, big crossover hit. Number one on the modern rock charts. And this song was originally written by Depeche Mode member Martin Gore as a ballad with just vocals and a harmonium. And comes crushing That's exactly in. what it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> but initially against... Martin Gore's wishes, Flood and Alan Wilder. We're like, put some pep in that step. That's yes. <laughs> they sped it up, threw a beat on it. They got Gore to write a guitar line for it, and this is one of those songs that as soon as the band heard the new version, like, we like. Sorry, Martin. They're like, this is a hit. We know we've got a hit. This is going to be huge. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah, it's cool. Of course, I'm sure there's plenty of bands that do that. They're like, oh my god, we got a hit. And then yeah. nothing. See, I don't mind it as much when producers are like, no, guys, your vision is bullshit. Because they know about music. Mm-hmm. They're not like record label people who don't know about music. Sure. So it's weird that they get to call any yeah. shots about music. No, Flood knows. No, if, of course. If Flood tells you to throw a beat on the thing, throw a beat on it. Yeah, speed yeah. it up. Speed it up. Flip it and reverse it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what you got to do. That's right. I think this is probably a song that everyone listening knows. Yeah. You want to hear it anyway? Yeah, no, we should hear it anyway. I'm not going to skip it. Okay. Okay, so let's listen to it. Depeche Mode, Enjoy the Silence. Come crashing in into my little world Painful to me Pierce right through me Don't you understand Oh, my little girl It's just a good song. Yeah, it's just a good song. It's definitely the first Depeche Mode song I ever heard. Um, Yeah, it probably was me too. And it, that definitely made me go like, I'll check more of this band stuff out. Yes. Sounds like a band that knows what they're doing. I'll mine this further. It's weird when you know a song so well that you feel like you don't have anything to say about it. I know. Like that's, yeah, of course. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. good. Yeah, we know the song. Obviously, it's good. No, I mean, what can you say? It's well written. It's immediately memorable, but maybe it's memorable to me because I know it so well. I feel like the first time I heard it, it was memorable. It just has a lot of cool layered sounds in there. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to the last two songs that we've heard, and this is a thing that I really like, the vocals are clear and crisp right on top. Sure. And I know that's like more poppy. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. But I like to sing along. I like to know what's happening in the song. Yeah. And this this sounds like a number one song to me. Oh, yeah. Although, interestingly enough, it only stayed on top of the modern rock charge for three weeks. Hmm. Which, you know, is fine, but not... It wasn't like, yeah, like... It didn't dominate, yeah. yeah. Not quite what I would expect from a song of this stature. Yeah. In 1990, to promote their album Violator, Depeche Mode traveled to Warehouse Records in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and they were expecting 7,000, 8,000 people to sh- show up. It's a lot of people, and something like 15,000, 20,000 people uh-huh. showed up, and there was not space for them. No. And 
just like lining up outside of all of LA. Oh, filled up the whole store, filled up the area around the store, I'm sure. pushing and shoving. And it's been described as a riot. I don't know how riotous it was, mm-hmm. but um, I have seen some, some news footage. Oh yeah, people were mm-hmm. pretty rowdy. Well, people stuck around for a very, very long time trying to see the band. Oh yeah. And Why things got they? a little out of hand. The band was like cool with that? They're like, okay, we'll stay here for 12 hours while no, I get to the band. No, the band left early. Too dangerous, I guess. The band left early, <gasps> and there were several arrests and injuries. Yikes. Yeah. So Too famous. You know, I keep thinking about that slow demo version of the song, Enjoy the Silence. Mm-hmm. Do you want to listen to that? Sure. Okay. Let's, let's hear it. Let's give it a shot. Here we go. All I ever wanted, all I ever needed is here in my arms. Words are very unnecessary. They can only do harm. <laughs> I mean, it's still the same song. It's weird. It is the same song, and yet I don't want to listen to this. No. No, it's, this is definitely not a hit. No. Have you seen the video? Yeah. Yeah. He's like walking through somewhere, probably in England, right? On the walking moors, around the mountains. The misty moors. <laughs> putting a chair down and relaxing. Yeah, he's like looking like a king or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's it's uh, just him. Yeah, Dave gone. Dave gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dave, you guys are close. <laughs> Should what? I call him David? I always call him David. David gone. Do they call him Dave? I call him Dave. Because yeah. we are close. Yeah. I met know? him at the signing in 1990. <laughs> we just became friends right away. Me and tell. Dave, we go way back. He could tell how much I really love the band. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's an Anton Corbin directed video. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's been post-colored. Is it one of those? Anton Corbin loves to post color, he doesn't really he? I don't, does. I don't know what his technique is, but they do have that look quite yeah. often, yeah. I feel like he does a lot of black and white photography, and he does a lot of stuff that looks like it has that colorized look well, to like, it. Well, um, like the heart-shaped box videos, they filmed it in black and white, and then they colorized it like they used to do with old movies. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. Yeah. That doesn't have quite the same look, but it does have that weird post-saturated color look. Yeah. And Anton Corbin, anyway, he, he was very instrumental in developing Depeche Mode's image. He was brought in mm. to help them create a, a visual style. Oh, I just picture him like, okay, you wear this turtleneck, you need a haircut. He might have. I don't want. I don't want to say he didn't. Anton Corbin might have picked out turtlenecks <laughs> for the boys, suggested haircuts. Mm-hmm. He's like Martin. I love that frosted curly look you're going for. Keep it up forever. Yep. <laughs> But he did do sleeve photography, principal promotion shots, and he directed five music videos just from Violator. Wow. Since that was on top for three weeks, that's the final number one of April. Mm-hmm. So we're going to check out a number 10 modern rock hit mm-hmm. from a band called The Cramps. Mm-hmm. The core of The Cramps is actually a husband-wife duo, Lux Interior and Poison Ivy, mm-hmm. born Eric and Christy, for those of you who want to know. Eric and Christy. (laughs) And uh, they met in Sacramento, California in 1972. Where all cool people meet. That's right. (laughs) They briefly moved to Akron, Ohio, and then to New York City. And the band formed its first complete lineup in 1976 and became part of the famous CBGB's Mm. punk rock movement, along with the Ramones and Television and Blondie and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Stylistically... They're often described as playing psychobilly music. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a term that the cramps coined themselves. Oh, I've definitely heard that. 
although Lux claimed that it did not describe their music. He's like, I'm really into psychobilly. That's not us. <laughs> and everyone else picked up that term and then disagreed with him. They're like, uh-huh. you're definitely psychobilly. <sighs> it's kind of a combination of punk rock and rockabilly music. And a lot of the Cramps' lyrics and their visuals, they're very like 1950s, kitschy, sci-fi. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that, but it's also like kind of S&M. Bondage-y stuff. Yeah, it's bondage-y. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like rubber and latex. Yes. Yeah, it's a worn. It's yeah, it's a weird combination of all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I love when people just find each other. Yeah, these two people met in college in Sacramento. Hey, you love kitschy 50s horror sci-fi bondage? Me too. Yeah. Let's form a band and stay together forever. And he wears high heels. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So, if you want to see some early examples of the Cramps, they performed a 1978 concert at a California mental hospital. And the video was later released as Live at Napa State Mental Hospital. It's really grainy looking and the sound is rough, but it's something to see. Wow, did you watch it? It's pretty amazing, yeah. I have watched it, yes. According to Lux, I have no idea if this is true, but according to Lux Interior, 16 patients escaped during their performance. (laughs) (laughs) So even if that's totally fake, it's a good story. Yeah, I'm going to say fake. (laughs) it might have been one of those institutes where you could just walk out you're free to leave anytime you want yeah like we don't like this music where was this in wine country napa state oh it's a state place yeah okay that's less wine country e then it's not a private spa no where the rich go when they're feeling kooky yeah so there was there were definitely a lot of patients like getting right up on stage dancing with the band it's a little unhinged that's crazy yeah But I do like the idea of 16 patients just going like, this is awful. (laughs) I'd rather be out on the streets with my mental illness than listening to the cramps play. Wait, aren't they like forced to be there? Well, I was suggesting that it's a free to leave kind of place. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Within a few years, their their look and their act had developed quite a bit. They appeared in Erg, A Music War, which I mentioned last episode as well. You love that Erg. I do. And... That performance features the lowest rise vinyl pants I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, his pants are not even on Mm -hmm. all the way. Yeah. So the Cramps, in 1990, they released their fourth studio album, Stay Sick. Yeah, Stay Sick. Exclamation point. Stay Sick. All right. Yeah. Produced by Poison Ivy. She's got the touch. She plays the guitar. She produces. She does it all. It features songs with such legendary names as Journey to the Center of the Girl. <laughs> oh, boy. Daisy's Up Your Butterfly. Ew. <laughs> and also a cover of Shortening Bread. Yes. <laughs> little baby loves so, Shortening Bread. Uh, it also featured their only song to ever chart in the U.S., and it's called Bikini Girls with Machine Guns. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to hear today. Reach number 10 on the modern rock charts. Here it is, Bikini Girls with Machine Guns.
So that was the first Cramps song I ever heard back in the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. I'll bet they liked this one. They definitely did. Boobs and guns. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought it was very weird as a kid. The video? Just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard anything like that or seen anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think with the Cramps... Seeing the visuals really helps because I don't want to say it's barely a song, but it's it's really straightforward. It's not particularly interesting mm-hmm. or uh, they're definitely not doing anything new other than maybe combining some lyrics with some music that don't normally fit right. together. But when you see the visuals along with it, it kind of clicks. It kind of makes sense. Totally. What about how the girls in the band, they're always like staring off into the space, looking super bored and chewing gum. That's mm-hmm. both of their looks. <laughs> Did Anton Corbin come over and tell them to do that? (laughs) Doing research for this podcast, I watched quite a few interviews with the Cramps. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, I love watching the Cramps get interviewed. Oh, yeah. There's so many bands whose music I love, and I watch them or hear them get interviewed, and they're so boring. Yeah, they're not boring. They have nothing to say. Yeah. The Cramps, I mean, their music, really, I could take it or leave it for the most part, (laughs) but... It's always fun. Like they always, they're always, they show up wearing crazy outfits and they're excited and they have things that they want to talk about. Hmm, That's good. Yeah. It'd be entertaining because aren't you here to entertain? Right. I think one of my initial impressions of the song was that I was curious as to whether this was a joke. Like Mm. like how serious are these people? Yeah. Bikini girls, machine guns. It seems seems kind of goofy. Seems kind of novelty. But they lived this life. Yeah, they do. This was them. This mm-hmm. is not them putting on some kind of show. From the time these two met until the time of Lux Interior's death, he died uh, in two thousand nine. Yeah, oh. after thirty seven years together with mm-hmm. Poison Ivy, they lived the Cramps life. That's and, just, yeah. That's who they were. Yeah. And you don't put on those pants in jest. No, I mean, so one could, <laughs> certainly, but they were not. No. They had a thing, and it was their own unique thing, and they went for it Yeah, all the way. I definitely thought also that it was kind of novelty when I saw it on Beavis and Butthead, mm-hmm. like, is this a joke song? Is this a real band? One of the interesting things about being a band that wears, you know, bondage gear or tight leather pants or whatever, when the person wearing those clothes is young, right. they seem, like, edgy and scary and, right. you know... When they start hitting 30, mm-hmm. 40, mm-hmm. 50. Uh, then you're like, put it away, pal. Yeah. <laughs> but you shouldn't be. I don't care. I mean, that's be well, yourself. Exactly right. Yeah. It's it's not as scary. It starts seeming a little silly. Yes. But Lux was Lux. Right. Doing his thing. Way to go. And Marilyn Rocket. Manson is still Marilyn Manson. Really? He's still shaving his eyebrows off. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's really what makes Manson Manson, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was fat Manson for a while, right? Yeah. But still no eyebrows. Nope. You can put on 200 pounds. <laughs> you can't grow the eyebrows back. Keeping it real. Yeah. I'm glad the Cramps could chart with a song like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because even, you know, 1990, they were getting a little long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Although Poison Ivy still look good. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we get going? I got nothing to plug. Nothing to plug. Nothing to plug. <laughs> I'm here with nothing to pig. Orly, thank you for joining us once again. You're so welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If anyone wants to get in contact with me, they can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Catch you next time. Catch you next time. <laughs>